Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. All right. Good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. I'm Rachel Marshall and I'm here with Bruce Wainer, my co-host, as well as special guest Edwin Kelly with Specialized Trust Company. Good morning, Bruce. Morning, Rachel. Um, I think uh, our listeners uh, have somewhat of a passion about this, and they also probably know that it's not the first place that we always uh, go to when we're trying to help them invest in the real estate. Uh, But I think this is something that you and I are both passionate about as far as making sure that our listeners know both sides of every issue and see the pros and cons of everything so that they can make their own um, intelligent uh, decision on how they would like to proceed in their wealth creation. So that's why we're excited to have Edwin here today because he is one of the leading authorities on this subject and we're really uh, thankful that he took the time to join us today. Absolutely, and thank you Edwin for being here today. Great to be here. Excellent. So if you are yeah, listening, thank you so much. go ahead, Edwin. No, I just say th- thanks. I was looking forward to it. Excellent. Well, we are really happy to have you on the show today and to be able to really just discuss this topic of self-directed IRAs. And so if you're a listener and you're wondering what is a self-directed IRA, you're in the right place today. So if you have any questions about what this means, we would love to hear from you. And we are watching the chat in YouTube and in Facebook as well. And we would love to be able to answer your direct questions. So my start off for today is if you have money in an IRA or a solo 401k or a SEP IRA or a 401k, and especially if you're looking at a previous employer or a or a qualified plan that you are holding inside of your business, you may be interested in figuring out how to use that capital to invest in real estate or in any other cash flowing asset. And so today we're talking with Edwin Kelly. He's the CEO of Specialized Trust Company. And we're going to be talking about self-directed accounts and investment strategies. And more importantly, we're going to be talking about when to use a self-directed IRA and when you may not want to. So if you want to know how to best use qualified plan money to help you reach your financial goals and invest in real estate, and figure out if you should continue funding self-directed IRAs or not, and maximize your ability to use your money to achieve time and money freedom, this is the episode for you today. So Edwin, I would love for you to share a little bit about your background and what led you into this space of working in the self-directed world. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. I I was raised by a single mother, and uh, she was a social worker in the state of Ohio, didn't make a lot of money. And, you know, I, I kind of saw that very early on. And, and when I was very young, it made a huge impression on me just seeing how we lived, you know, day to day, week to week. And, and so long, long story short, I decided in sixth grade that, uh, you know, I, I wanted to be financially successful. And I remember that distinctly because that's when I started doing odd jobs, work and that kind of thing. Saved money, opened up uh, what's called an UGMA account when I got into middle school. And and started investing actually in middle school, invested through high school, uh, majored in finance, investments, and, and everything in, in college. Opened up my very first retirement account when I was a, a quote broke college kid. All my friends really? said I couldn't afford. Yeah, they said I couldn't afford to 
uh, open a retirement account. I said I couldn't afford not to. You know, it's just two different kind of ways of, I guess, looking at things. And, you know, I just always studied and searched for successful people and what made them financially successful. What are the things they did? And, and that's ultimately what led me into self-directed retirement accounts because these were tools that I found some of the wealthiest individuals and families in the country had used for decades. I didn't understand why in the beginning. And so as I got more into it, you know, I figured it out. And so this is just stuff I started doing for myself. And, and I saw a hole in the industry and wanted to uh, kind of fill that, fill that hole, if you will. Um, and, and so that's, that was the, the impetus and, and the motivation behind launching specialized trust companies. So we're a self-directed IRA custodian. We've been, I've been doing this for 23 plus years. And, uh, and, and so, you know, I've been doing it for quite a while. That is 23 years. And so have you owned your own company that whole time or did you work for someone else in the self-directed space first? Yeah. So I've worked in, uh, investments, retirement plans, um, throughout my entire career. And uh, what, what led me into the self-directed industry was I actually got recruited. I was looking around for different opportunities. I was in the finance and investment space, and I was really looking to launch my own company. And uh, But I wasn't sure what niche I wanted to be in. And so I had just kind of started to discover self-directing, and, and I had a lot of offers on the table from very large financial institutions. Uh, and I had, I had an offer on the table from this little company that I had never heard of before, right? And... Uh, but when I took a look at them and I said, this is in the self-directed space, I think this is the path, right? And so it was going into that company and helping grow them and being involved in all aspects of their operation and growth that uh, kind of introduced me to that, hey, you know what, this is, this is how it works. Here, here's where the opportunities are. And, and so uh, that's what, what helped. It was a stepping stone along the way. And that's kind of like the background in terms of where Specialized came from. So haven't always owned my own company. I uh, worked for others and, and some very good firms and, and learned a lot along the way. That's excellent. And so thank you for sharing just where that passion came from. I love seeing the backstory of anyone who is a business owner and specifically somebody who has looked for some unconventional strategies and really said, how do I really figure out how to become financially successful. And I think that's a question on so many people's minds. So let's kind of take this back to square one. Can you explain for our listeners what exactly is a self-directed IRA or a self-directed plan? Yeah, so I group accounts into two categories, okay? So the first one is what I call plain vanilla. The second one is what I call truly self-directed. So what is a plain vanilla retirement account or IRA? Uh, a plain vanilla IRA is, is with, and most people have, right? It's, it's a retirement account that you get at your local bank or brokerage in what we call marketable securities, but typically things, right, that they earn a fee or a commission on. And examples are stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and CDs. By contrast, a self-directed IRA is held at a financial institution where you can uh, invest in anything allowed by the government. And, and so there's many more things that people are able to invest in. And so think as an example, we're talking about real estate, right? So we see clients invest in real estate, uh, notes, mortgages, deeds of trusts, cryptocurrencies, 
physical precious metals. I mean, the, 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 the list just goes on and on and on. But a self-directed IRA is basically one that allows someone to get control of their, their money in their retirement account and invest in anything allowed by the government like real estate. Excellent. Okay. So a qualified plan or retirement account. So how specifically, um, what types of qualified plans or what types of retirement accounts can be put into a self-directed IRA if somebody might maybe already have a plain vanilla type of plan? Yeah. So if somebody has a plain vanilla IRA, right, they, you have an IRA to make or a brokerage, you can transfer all or some of that money into uh, a self-directed IRA. And when, when that transfer is done, it comes over dollar for dollar, right? So as long as the movement is done correctly, that's, that's the key there. So, um, so if you have an IRA someplace else, you can transfer some of that money to self-direct. If you have money in a company sponsored plan, like a 401k or a 403b or you know, a TSP, uh, in many cases, that money it, it typically has got to be a previous plan, but that money could be uh, transferred or rolled over into a self-directed IRA. Uh, there are some kind of unique opportunities right now with, with the changes that, that took place recently with the CARES Act and some of those types of things. But uh, oftentimes we, we see that, that most people who have retirement accounts can actually transfer some, at least some, of, of their retirement account money into a self-directed retirement account. So Rachel, one of the things I think uh Edwin would be commenting on is um, there are there are uh, uh, ways that you can take even your current 401k now he had, he had talked about previous 401k so 401ks are still parked at a custodian from a previous um, employer you could transfer that one at your current 401k there normally are a lot more uh, limitations but one of the things at age 59 and a half, they often allow what they call an in-service distribution so that you can roll part or all of your uh, 401k um, out to an, an IRA in your control. And some people call that the Enron rule. Uh, people remember Enron uh, several years ago. Uh, but um, th that's a way that you can control. Some of them actually allow you to do that prior to 59 and a half. But you, what you have to remember is any anything uh, that uh, is allowed by a TPA, a third-party administrator, is going to normally have a fee um, uh, to the employ, employer, whether it's a corporation or an individual business owner. And so sometimes those are not put in because the business owner or corporation is trying to keep their um, keep their costs down. But all you have to do is contact the TPA, and they'll be able to tell you what is and what is not uh, allowed. So Edwin, oftentimes, uh, I'm also an investment advisor, so I oftentimes try to clarify what our listeners are, are, are listening uh, to from our podcast host. Excellent. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, um, okay, so it, it's obviously you um, get it into the, uh, your trust company, I presume. And then um, you handle all the filings. Let's talk about a little bit of the paperwork that must be done either on a initially and then also on a, a yearly basis. Okay. Yeah. So, so basically what happens is, and I, and I break this down into like a three-step process, right? 
because that's really what self-directing is. So step number one is when somebody wants to, to self-direct uh, their retirement money, they, the first thing they need to do is establish a self-directed account, right? And so like we've already said, you've got to go to a specialized custodian, real clever, right? Hence the name of the company. But you've got to go to a specialized custodian, one that will allow you to self-direct into anything that you choose, get qualifier being so long as it's allowed by the government. So the application is the first step or the first piece of paper, if you will, in that process. Uh, it takes all 10 to 15 minutes to fill out an application. It's pretty straightforward, right? That establishes your account. The second step in the process is to deposit money into the account. And so there's a few different ways to deposit money in the account. You know, one way is a contribution, which people can make as long as they have earned income every year. A second way, and what we've been focusing on, are transfers and rollovers, right? In other words, money is coming from a retirement account that's already existing. And in that particular case, uh, there's typically a transfer form that is completed. And the client completes that. We typically help with that. They submit it, and then we process it and send it to their current custodian, which is the instructions, the transfer paperwork basically instructs the current custodian to say, hey, I want to transfer, the client saying, I want to transfer X number of dollars from this account to this other account, right? And that's the second piece of paper, the second step in the process. And then the third and final step is effectively the direction to invest, or what we call the DTI, right? And so the DTI is really what gives the client control over that account and access to the money, because it's in that step that they... As they, they instruct or direct specialized trust company to invest their money in what the client is identifying, right? And, and so typically there's some paperwork that comes along with that. So as an example, if somebody was purchasing a piece of real estate, there might be a purchase contract. If they were investing through a, an entity, as an example, like an LLC, then they might send some of those LLC documents in with that DTI. But basically it's, 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 that's all pretty spelled out, you know, on the DTI. And so, so it's, it's those three steps, three pieces of paper, an application, a transfer form, and a direction to invest. And, and that's, that's effectively the process for the client. And then what about ongoing recording or uh, paperwork? Yeah, so at, at, on an ongoing basis, typically the one thing that uh, I always like to share with folks is that the IRS, the current rules, uh, say that you, you need to have an updated fair market valuation done of your assets uh, on an annual basis. So that's one of those ongoing things that, that people want to be aware of is that, that, that that's, a, that's a government requirement, if you will. It's an IRS requirement. And, um, you know, in the security, a lot of people aren't familiar with that because in, in the plain vanilla world, right, things are marked to market at the end of every day. And so, so there's always an established right uh, market value or fair market value, if you will. But when you're dealing with alternative assets, by the way, it just it drives me crazy that real estate is considered an alternative asset because the last time I checked, land existed way longer than the stock market has. Right? Oh yes. But, but, but be that as it may, <laughs> I, I, li I like you, Edwin, because we we would say the same thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Be that as it may. Uh, then the client needs to get uh, a fair market valuation every year. So that would be something that's ongoing from the client. And is that an additional fee to the client? Uh, it typically is. We don't charge the fee because we don't do the fair market valuation. The rule basically says is that it has to be somebody who has the professional ability to assess the value of whatever the asset is. So as an example, if, if, 
if someone bought a piece of real estate, could they go get a VPO or an appraisal, you know, on that piece of real estate from a, a, a real estate professional? You know, that would satisfy, seem to satisfy the requirement. Okay. And if it's like a, if it's like a commodity, like uh, gold or silver, I guess just a simple evaluation that would be the yeah. same way. Yeah. Yeah. So um, is there, is there any, cause, cause we try to actually, you have, you have your specialty and then we have what we're trying to look at everybody's like an integrated resource network and help them with all aspects of their financial life. So is there anything that you can talk about as far as the, or do you feel comfortable or do you actually advise people to go to their own tax people? Um, the pros and cons of using a self-directed IRA. Yeah. So um, it, when it comes to tax advice, yeah, we're not licensed to give tax advice. So we always say that, you know, we're one of the team members for the client, uh, mm -hmm. a good tax professional, right? Just like a good legal advisor or other people that you want on your team as an investor, you know, as, as you kind of just go through life. And so any tax related specific issues, we always direct them back to, to their tax advisor. Having said that, uh, you know, we could talk specifically about some of the tax benefits that retirement accounts do offer. And that's usually the one reason why people think about uh, retirement accounts. They think primarily about the tax benefits. There's actually a lot of other benefits that come along with retirement accounts. But tax benefits are for the first one that generally people think of. Yeah, and let's go ahead and walk through those. That was actually towards my next question as well. So what are the tax advantages? And also in part of this conversation, we're going to need to discuss the difference between a regular 401k and IRA versus a Roth 401k and IRA. Yeah. So, 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 so here's how I like to do it. Imagine for a minute, I'm going to ask, you know, folks listening right now, okay, I just want you to picture this. Imagine for a moment that I gave you a way that you could have a brand new conversation with the government this year. And here's the conversation you get to have with the government. You can say to the government, look, I'm going to make you a deal. I'm going to earn income this year, and you're going to want to tax me on all of it. But here's the deal I'm making you. If I spend it, you can tax it. If I don't spend it, you don't get to tax it. Anything I don't spend, I'm going to set aside. I'm going to invest it. When it's invested, it's going to generate earnings, profits, and income. And you can't touch any of it. At some point, in, as a result of that, right, because you now can't, you, I've got your hands off my money, my money's going to compound exponentially faster and larger as a result. Mm -hmm. At some point in the future, I'm going to want to spend some of that money. And when I do, I'll let you tax me, but here's the deal. You can only tax me on what I spend, and you got to get rid of uh, a few of those taxes that you charge me now, right? If you like the concept of having that conversation with the government, that's what we call a tax deferred or a tax deductible type of an account. Most people call it a traditional IRA. But that's effectively how it works, right? When we contribute to that account, meaning we take money from our current income out of our savings account or our checking account, we deposit it into the IRA. We get to deduct that from our taxable income, hence the deduction, right? It grows tax protected. And the tax deferred part is when we spend it at the end, right, in the future, then that's where we trigger some taxes, but not all the tra taxes we trigger now. 
Right. I like how you clarified that. And that's something that we talk about often as well. If you are putting money into a tax deferred vehicle, that doesn't mean you are saving tax. You are deferring or delaying or postponing that tax until the future. And so there's a huge amount of conversation you can have around that. What do you think taxes are going to be in the future? Do we have control over what those future tax rates are going to be? So there's definitely a bigger conversation around that. But I like how you are saying, hey, these are things that I don't pay tax today. I don't pay tax on the growth, but I do pay tax when I spend it. I just want to clarify that you still will pay tax at some point on that money. It just is a matter of if you're going to pay it today or later. Right. It's, yeah. The, the government is going to get their pound of flesh, right? Oh, yes. you, you get to choose, <laughs> you right. know, but they're going to they're gonna collect it in that scenario. Um, now, here's the second conversation you could have with the government. All right. So, so now picture this one. So you say to the government this year, here's the deal. I'm going to make money. I'm going to earn income and you're going to want to tax me on all of it. And I'm going to let you. But here's the deal. Anything I don't spend, I'm going to put aside. I'm going to save. I'm going to invest it. And while it's invested, it's going to generate income, earnings, and profit. And you can't tax any of it. At some point in the future, that money, right, I'm going to want to spend some of that money. Now, my money is going to grow exponentially faster and larger. Right? It's going to keep compounding as I go through time. At some point in the future, I'm going to want to spend some of that money. And when I do, you don't get to tax me then at all. Right, no income tax, no capital gains tax, no tax. If I make $10,000, I get to spend $10,000. And oh, by the way, one of these days I'm gonna pass away, and when I do, that money's going to go to my spouse. And when the money goes to the spouse, guess what? You don't get to tax her either. She gets to spend that income 100% tax-free throughout her lifetime as well. So if, if you like that conversation, then that's where uh, you'd be interested in the Roth. And that's what we typically call tax-free account. Tax-free meaning the money that you spend from it, so long as it's a qualified distribution, comes out 100% tax-free. No capital gains tax, no income tax, no tax, right? The, the Roth, to me, is the most compelling opportunity the government's ever really given us because it's the only legal way I know how to go from forever taxed to never taxed. Forever tax and never tax. That's basically what a Roth does for us. Yeah. So yeah. what I find what I find interesting, all great points. What I find interesting is my railing against the government is that you know they they tell us that tax deferring is the greatest thing. We're going to allow you to tax defer, and it's the greatest thing in the world. And then they tell us in 1999, oh no, you know what? We'll let you do a Roth IRA. We'll take the taxes now, and this is the greatest thing. You don't have to pay taxes in the future. So which one is it? So they both can't be the greatest thing in the world. Why are they allowing us to do both of those? It, it, makes, it makes absolutely no sense, uh, uh, sense well, to me, logically. Yeah, well, it, it, it's interesting because I, I can tell you what the challenge there is. <laughs> when I tell you this, the only challenge is because I actually go to D.C., right? And I actually meet with policymakers, various members of Congress, the heads of, you know, directors of all these agencies that, you know, so I go there on behalf of our company, our clients, and our industry. And so I'm in D.C., you know, a couple of times a year. Um, and so when you meet with these policymakers, uh, here's the crazy thing about it is that it, there's there's a lot of discussion. In fact, I got into a debate. I was on, I was on a panel one time and and somebody in, in the audience and I was on this panel and they asked the question of the panel. They said, hey, you know, this Roth thing sounds too good to be true. Certainly the government's going to take it away. And, and one of the guys on the, the panel 
uh, a good, actually good friend of mine um, and an attorney said, uh, yeah, he's like, uh, I agree. I think they might. So what you want to do is get it opened and put money in it right away because then that way they won't take it away from you, right? That's how they, they do things. And so the, the, the guy who was uh, moderating the panel, the moderator asked me, he says, Edwin, do you agree with that? And I said, no, actually, I, I vehemently disagree with it. And I said, mm -hmm. I said, I disagree with it based on two things. One, all the legislation that they've passed in the last 20 years, okay? And the second thing is based on what they're telling us. And, and so the reality is, is that the government loves the, the Roth and they don't love the traditional. And, and the question is kind of what you're asking, why is that? Well, here's the thing. When, when Congress and, and these government agencies set up their budgets and they do their forecasts, right? They budget for 10 years out. And when you put a dollar in a tax deferred account, they say they're losing revenue. Right? That's how they look at it. That's exactly the term they use. They lose the revenue because they don't have any model that factors it actually coming back into the economy. Because they, you know, they assume if you're putting a dollar in today, it's going to be more than 10 years before you take it out. That's just how they look at it. Right or wrong, that's how they look at it. So they look at it as a loss. So they love the Roth because what? Guess what? They get all their tax money today still. So it, it works in their model in the way that they look at things. Um, and if you look at the legislation that's been passed, uh, like you said, in the, in the Taxpayer Relief Act, right, is what introduced the Roth back in the late 90s. Uh, in 06, they expanded and allowed Roth contributions to 401k plans, right, qualified plans. In 2010, they removed the conversion income limit, which applies to high income earners being able to put money into a Roth. Uh, in 2013, they amended the rules allow for in-service conversions inside of 401k plans. Uh, so so all, all the legislation that's being passed says they like the Roth, they don't like the tax-deferred account. Now, it's interesting because there's been discussion that they're in, the, in, in D.C. that they're actually talking about at some point legislating and passing that, you know, if you have a tax-deferred account, they'll let you keep it, but they're going to eliminate future contributions to those accounts. They really, again, in their mind, the Roth is the best for them. For most of my clients, they feel the Roth is best for themselves. So this is one of those actually rare situations where the, the, regardless of how we look at it, it actually benefits both sides. Well, it is really interesting when you look at just the big picture. And even if you take the language of Roth or IRA or qualified plan away, you just think about yourself personally and you think either I can pay a known tax today or I can pay an unknown future tax that I don't have control over how much that may be because I can't control what the future tax rates will be or what my income level will be. And what if I'm more successful and in a higher tax bracket in the future and I'm not going to have the same tax breaks like maybe potentially mortgage interest deduction or I'm not going to be able to um, get the child tax credit because my kids aren't going to be still living under my roof. So if you're thinking about it from a person's perspective, not the government, and we just say, do I want to pay the tax now or do I want to defer it and postpone till the future? I personally would rather pay a known tax today. And so that's where you're coming in and saying, well, the Roth in, is what most of your clients are choosing in terms of defer tax and pay it in the future or pay the tax now and make sure that the future is tax-free for you. So there's so many questions that we have opened through this conversation. So you mentioned the income limit. So let's just talk about and you may have to caveat this um, 
your answers based on the Roth version or the typical version of a self-directed IRA or self-directed retirement accounts. But how much can you put into these accounts? That's a great question. And I'll give you a couple different answers. But um, the way I like to answer that question is that when, when somebody asks me, how, what, what, how much can you put into an account this year? My, my, my question, my follow-up question to them is, well, how much do you want to put into an account this year? Because if you, ex if you tell me how much you want to contribute, I can usually map out a way to get it, get it in. And th the way we do that is that I group accounts into three categories, right? So you have IRAs, individual retirement accounts. You have company-sponsored plans. That's the second category. So your SEPs, SIMPLES, right? Solo 401ks, Roth 401ks. It's basically the same thing. It's just they, they go by different names. And then we have tax advantage specialty accounts, right? health savings accounts, education savings accounts for the kids. And um, so, so what we do is we actually do uh, something that I call a, a blueprint. And, and that's where we, we take a look at the, the, the client, their, themselves as an individual, their family, their business situation, right? And then we can actually map out a plan, a custom plan design for them to, to maximize the types of accounts and the benefits they want to achieve uh, along with the dollars that they can put in. So that's, that's kind of how we go through the process. Having said that, Say a black and white contribution limit this year for an IRA, Roth or traditional, it's the same dollar amount, is 6000 if you're under 57000 if you're over 50 right? And you, then if you step into, and that's per person. So if you're married, you can double that number, right? Right now, we've been given an opportunity to extend, so it depends when people listen to this, but depending upon what time of year we're in, you can sometimes make contributions for last year. So right now, as an example, so I had a client come to me who just inherited a fairly large sum of money. And he said, look, all this money is money that I want to invest. He's a real estate investor, actually. And he says, I'm, I, I want to invest all this in real estate, but I want to, I want to do it through uh, self-directed accounts, you know? And, and he said, so how do I, how much of this can I get in? And so that's where we take a look at himself, his family, right? Everything. And, and then we set up various plans and then he makes those contributions based on how those plans work and what he's able to contribute. But, but long story short, uh, we're able to leverage last year right now for him and his wife. So there's 6,000 times two, 12,000, right? Plus another 6,000 times two, right? For this year. So right there's $24,000 as an example that someone can put in in the next, you know, seven days without even doing too much work and getting creative. Right. Okay. So that answers a question of is there limits? Are there also income limits like there are with putting money into some qualified plans where if you make a certain dollar amount that you cannot put money into a self-directed IRA? Uh, I'll say yes and no to that. Um, if, if you, if, I don't care what your income is, you can always put money in a plan. The, the question is really how is it going to be treated from a tax standpoint? So as an example, uh, without getting too complicated, I'll just say when you were talking about traditional IRAs, as an example, you may or may not qualify to take the tax deduction. But if that's the case, that's okay because then we just move the money into a Roth where you wouldn't get a deduction anyway, but you get to spend all the money 100% tax-free in the future. So no matter what, you can always put money into an account. The question really is how is it going to be treated and what are your options from a tax standpoint? Okay. Okay. So that is, I'm seeing there's a lot of nuance to this in addition to their, it, it having options to um, 
have a tax strategy. There's a lot of nuance based on someone's specific situation. So again, this may be a, a, a answer that you have two parts to it based on whether it's tax now or tax in the future. But let's talk about real estate. If we did have money in a say it was in a previous employer 401k plus maybe now I own a business and I have a, a SEP IRA and a simple IRA as well and maybe I or a solo of a solo 401k and I'm in a position where now I have these these plans that I would like to roll over into a self-directed IRA and invest that into real estate. Let's talk about what that process looks like and how that can affect your taxation of the real estate. Okay, well, so from uh, from a process standpoint, if you've got money in a 401k, and let's just assume it's eligible to move, so we're not dealing with any of that at this point, right? Then we just go back to that three steps. The first step is you set up the account. Second step is we do the transfer paperwork process to, to move that money over. Now it's in that self-directed account. Um, from a tax standpoint, um, one of the benefits, and, and this is one of the questions that comes up, hey, you know, some people say I should buy real estate in my retirement account. Some people say I shouldn't buy real estate in my retirement account. What gives? And the answer is it depends on why you're buying real estate. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and by the way, what I also say is, is that it's not an all or nothing proposition. You know, people will say when they hear me speak a lot of times and I educate on all the, the, the advantages of, of, of retirement accounts and self-directing, they'll say, well, how do I make money now if I'm 30 years old? And I said, well, you're not only going to do this, right? This is a part of your overall financial picture. It's not your entire financial picture. So mm -hmm. I, I want to make that distinction clear since we're on this topic. I invest outside my retirement account. Okay, one of the things that I like to invest in is real estate outside of my retirement account. Why? Because I get depreciation. I get some tax benefits by owning real estate outside of my retirement account. At the same time, I invest in real estate and real estate related um, investments inside of my retirement account. Why do I do that? Because Retirement accounts not just offer us tax protection, right? So the whole reason why we want depreciation is because of why? We're paying a ton in taxes. When we build an income stream or a future income stream in a Roth, we don't have to worry about taxes. So I don't necessarily care about depreciation in the retirement account if I'm buying an asset that generates me cash flow, right? Because ultimately that, go back to the premise of the retirement account. The premise of the retirement account, the reason why gave, the government gave it to us, is to generate an asset base that can generate an income stream that can replace our income stream when we don't want to work anymore, or we're not able to work anymore, right? So in other words, if somebody says, well, you know, I can make a, a higher return investing in, in, in asset X over real estate, well, then I say go buy asset X, right? I mean, but, but, we, but the, the money in a retirement account uh, gives us not only in, 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 you know, the, the tax advantages, but it's, it, most people have a retirement account and you've got to invest it in something and you want to invest it in something and you want to invest it in things that make sense for you. I personally uh, like real estate. I, I'll tell you why I like, I, I, like to, I like investing in two things. I like investing in real estate and businesses and I'll, and I'll tell you why I picked those two things. I didn't figure it out on my own. There was a book written uh, probably two decades ago, maybe now, uh, called Secret Pillars of Wealth by James Burns. And he was an attorney by trade and he did this research and he basically said, I want to know who the top 1% wealthy people are in this country. How did they get that way? Mm -hmm. 
And in 74% of the cases, and I would argue based on the way he reported the research, it's actually higher than this number. But uh, in 74% of the cases, if you just take his number, 74% of the people that made it into the top 1% got there by only one of two ways. They were business owner slash entrepreneurs or they were real estate investors. That's it. That's what's worked for decades and centuries. So I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. I just do what works. And that's the great thing about the self-directed retirement account because that enables us to do that. So I think the considerations in a retirement account is, look, what is your end goal? Whatever your assets or your investments are inside the retirement account has got to be tied to your, your goals. And, and so for most people, it's either appreciation or income or a combination of those two things, right? And so if you feel real estate gives you the best opportunity to do that, then it makes sense to do that inside of a retirement account. So and I that, love that. What was the last part? Just that piece of it, right? I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I'm caveat. I'm qualifying the statement because I'm not saying don't do it outside the retirement account. I'm saying this is a separate decision for inside the retirement account. I love that you shared so much surrounding that. And I actually have, uh, am not familiar with the secret pillars of wealth, but I know Robert Kiyosaki would say the same thing, business owners and investors in, in terms of being on the right side of his cash flow quadrant where you're making money work for you. And we've seen that over and over again too. If you look at the, the Forbes 400 list or Forbes, I think it's called Forbes 400. They're all the people who are the multi-millionaires, the people who are the most wealthy in our nation. Yes, that has been built usually through business and real estate. So that same sentiment is echoed over and over again from those who are really pursuing financial freedom. And so that was one element I just wanted to really highlight that you just shared. Another is that you said it depends on your goals. If you're looking for appreciation or you're looking for cash flow, that's two separate conversations. So if you are specifically looking for cash flow today, that's something that you are not going to be able to pay yourself if you've invested through the self-directed IRA, correct? Generally, that's a true statement. That there are, there are ways to take money out of a retirement account, say, before 59 and a half. Mm -hmm. uh, but having said that, without getting super creative, uh, at least for our conversation today, what I can say is, is that the way that I kind of get people to think about retirement accounts is that, you know... There's, there's two transitions you might have in life. Everybody has at least one, but there might be two. So one transition is where you're at right now to what you want to do while you're earning income, right? So in other words, some people might want to get out of a job and go into owning their own business or full-time investing. Uh, some people might just want to increase their current income, right, to improve their lifestyle or, or whatever. That's one transition. The second transition is going from whatever you're doing now to not having to do that anymore, whether you own a business or you have a W-2 job. Right, that's the second transition. People call that retirement. I call it wealth without work because effectively that's what it is. When you have wealth, my definition of wealth, right, is that you have assets that provide an income stream to you. Mm -hmm. Then, um, then you have the choice of uh, how you spend your time and where you devote your talents and your. And that's really what it's all about. I think that's the one thing we all have in common. That's the place we all want to get to, and, and that's that's where. Uh, that retirement account comes in along with the investment strategies like you just said, right? So, to, so in other words, the re reason why I talk about appreciation, and, and there, again, we could get more into that, but the reason why I mentioned appreciation, I separate that from cash flow, is because it, it, depending on, there's, there's a couple different ways we can model this, but you know, it comes back to having enough assets that can generate the cash flow to support your lifestyle, right? So there is a correlation there, obviously. 
Right. So what I'm looking at with this, a couple things I'll highlight again, in your talking about the two different transitions, we're usually looking at how do we build that time and money freedom? And yes, it absolutely comes from figuring out how to create cash that you can put in a position of assets that produce cash flow. And when you have sufficient cash flow to replace your income, that is a position of time and money freedom. That is where we are all working to get to. And honestly, I personally don't want to retire. I know most of the people that we talk to are not in a position of wanting to retire because they're also doing work that they love. But we're still saying, how do we achieve that position of time and money freedom where we're working because we want to continue providing that value, not because it's supporting our lifestyle and it's the lifeline of our our ability to eat and drive a car and have the money that we need to go throughout our daily life. But you're also talking about cash flow from two different perspectives. One, if you are, so correct me if I'm misguided with this because I want to make sure I'm articulating clearly and well, but if you are in a position where you're saying, I want to have money in the self-directed account and I want to invest in real estate, then I am not going to get the tax benefits of the real estate today, but I do get the tax benefits of the self-directed IRA. Then if I sell the property, I want you to talk about what happens, but I believe that if you sell the property, then you do not pay capital gains tax inside of that self-directed account. Is that right? Right. Right. Yeah. Generally that's true. So, so that's the whole thing. So, so where, you know, you, 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 you forfeit one tax benefit, it comes with different tax benefits. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're investing then for appreciation and you buy an asset and the cash flow from the asset then goes back into your self-directed account and then you sell that asset and now your, um, the value of the property is now held inside of that self-directed account. The, the total amount of your net worth inside that account is increased now at this point. And then if you're in a position where you, then are continuing to invest that, then you're saying you're going to have a, a higher account balance to be able to draw from in that income stream in the future. Is that what I'm hearing you say correctly? Yeah. And you know, I run illustrations on this stuff all the time. And, and so if you run, if you, it, here's what I can tell you. If, if you take the same amount of money and let's just call it 5,000 a year and you contribute it and, and, and you think about it this way, you've got three different environments you can create wealth in. You've got a taxable environment you have a tax deferred environment and you have a tax free environment. If you deposit $5,000 in each of those places a year, if you make 10% on your money over the period of 30 years, right? So 5,000 a year, every year, earning 10% as you go at the end of 30 years. Okay. Without getting into specific numbers and all the math, what I can tell you is the distribution from a traditional IRA, is twice the amount of income after paying the taxes, twice the amount of income than um, when you uh, spend the money from a taxable environment. Why? Because your nest egg didn't grow as large and the income is getting taxed, right? So, so your, 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 your 10% is generated on a smaller number, right? Mm. And, and it's still getting taxed. Whereas, say, from a traditional, because it's grown larger, if you're taking 10% out a year, right, you're, you're, that, the income that it makes, then that 10% obviously is going to be larger, right, because that, that part's fixed. So, so it's based on how large is your asset base. Well, if your asset base grows twice as large, your distribution 
is twice as large. And that's what happens when you negate the impact of taxes. I have, I have a client who started with us about three to four years ago. And it was interesting because he had a self-directed account. He had a little bit, he had five figures in it. So I, he hasn't authorized me to, to tell you anybody like specifically the exact dollars, but I can tell you the, the, the way he's categorized it publicly. He allows me to do that. He started with us with five figures about three to four years ago. And um, fast forward to today, uh, his account has grown from five figures to seven figures. Now he's got multiple accounts like we talked about, right? We did the whole custom plan design and that kind of thing. So I'm talking about the totality of all his accounts have gone from five figures to seven figures in about three to four years. One of the things that's made that possible and that he didn't fully understand, and people really don't get it until you see it for yourself, is how fast you can compound money when you take taxes out of the equation. Because taxes are just so punitive. It's one thing to kind of intellectually understand it. It's another thing to see it before your own eyes, you mm -hmm. know, and, and that's the contrast. Um, so, yeah. So, I, I mean, there's just uh, th those tax benefits are, are really incredible. If, if it's okay, I, I want to mention one other big benefit to retirement, yeah. particularly in this market, in this economy. Um, retirement accounts, I'm going to make a general statement here because there is a difference between different types of accounts. So, so I'm going to make a general statement. So generally what I can tell you is, Retirement accounts are judgment-proof in all 50 states. And so what that means is that if you have um, a personal bankruptcy, the court cannot attach a judgment to uh, an asset held in your retirement account. If you have a business that goes bankrupt, the court cannot attach a judgment to held, an asset held in your retirement account. If you're tried and convicted of a criminal offense, the court cannot attach a judgment to an asset held inside your retirement account. The reason why I like to point that out is that that's another big, big, big reason why I discovered wealthy people use retirement accounts. It's because of that asset protection feature in addition to the tax benefits. And as just a, as a, as a, as a quick example, I had a, a, a situation where I was talking to a woman who she had a few long-term rentals inside of her self-directed IRA. Her primary business outside of her IRA was uh, um, the Airbnb business. When the quarantine hit, within 30 days, she, her business filed bankruptcy. The thing is, is that those, that income stream inside her retirement account is 100% protected, right? Because even though her business is going bankrupt, the courts can't touch any of that. So it's completely off the table. So again, just, just another big benefit of, of why it makes sense to hold assets in different places. Yeah, that's great. That, that's great. So let's, You've done. You've been in this for a long time. What are like the pitfalls that you have to really worry about when you do this? Like, what are some of the things that could go wrong in in, a, in this situation? Yeah. So the the biggest one is um, what I call self dealing. All right. So so there are like I mentioned earlier, there's rules and regs around uh, what we what we can and cannot do. Right. With, with regards to retirement accounts. Now, I don't think they're overly complex or complicated. They do take a little bit of an education to understand. Uh, we, we, we help educate clients on, you know, the do's and the don'ts and the bumpers and all those kinds of things when somebody becomes a client. Um, but what I can tell you is, is that uh, a lot of it is, is kind of um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's it, it's, it's almost obvious. Like the, what the government is saying is like, look, we're giving you these these amazing tax vehicles. Right. And we're okay with tax avoidance, meaning you're legally operating according to the rules. But what we're not okay with is tax evasion, right? Mm -hmm. 
And that's where those prohibited transactions, quote, self-dealing or terms or, or jargon that you might hear around this topic. And, and so that's where those rules come into place. And so what that's basically saying is that, look, it, it, you can distill it down to this. The government wants to see good, honest, arms-length transit transactions and investments. That's it. You know, no funny business, no trying to cheat the government, evade, right, uh, taxes, that kind of thing. And, and, and so that's really what the rules are designed to accomplish. So I'd say if someone's going to be very active investing in their retirement account, then, and that's kind of where your, your question goes, Bruce, I think that would be an area that they want to pay close attention to. Now, here's a way around that. The way around a lot of those self-dealing rules is to work with other real estate professionals that you know and network and connect with. Because as an example, if I were to lend you money, let's say for my retirement account for a real estate deal, and we partnered up or you just paid me a fixed rate of return, in either of those cases, I can't even imagine how I'd trigger a prohibited transaction. Like I'd have to really, I'm pretty creative and I, I, I would, it would stretch me to come up with a way that I would do something wrong in that scenario, right? Mm -hmm. Now, having said that, if I was doing my own real estate transaction, then there's a lot of things that I'd have to know and pay attention to, right? Because now I'm involved in that process. So, so again, depending upon how you invest, you can be more active, you can be more passive. I'm a big fan of passive anyway, particularly when it comes to retirement accounts, not just because of rules and regs, but ultimately that's what we're trying to transition to, right? So, mm -hmm. so, so, so yeah, I would say the rules are the, the thing that you want to pay attention to and, and that uh, you, you want a little bit of education on that and you also want to think about the role you want to play in your investments. Well, thank you. That's, that's a great answer. I'm just, uh, this is maybe a little off topic, but I'm kind of interested in, in uh, your role in speaking to different uh, people at Congress. What do you speak to them about? When we go and meet with them, uh, it's, it's really about, you know, policy and, you know, advocating for our industry and that type of thing. And so, um, you know, as an example, there, there's a, a few years ago when they were rewriting the rules on fiduciaries and what is a fiduciary? And so we as an industry, me as well as the other owners of the, of the you know, their company, self-directed custodians, we all got together because initially they were going to include us in the definition of a fiduciary. And we said, wait a minute, if you include us as a fiduciary, because you don't really understand what our business model is, we'd be out of business. You'd legislate us out of business. You, you would eliminate the option for people to self-direct their account. Because if you're telling me that I'm responsible for every single investment decision that somebody makes and I don't even know what they're doing, like how would we take on that liability as a business? So I couldn't insure that away, right? So, so that's an example, right? There's times where we've gone and I'm gonna forget, uh, I believe it was the, I don't think it was the director of the IRS, it was the assistant director of the IRS who, who made this comment. We, we were asking a question, we said, hey look, you know, you, you've got these rules and regs about the do's and don'ts, right? The, the, the privilege transactions we're talking about. And, We'll, we're telling you, like, we'll go by anything. The clients will go by any rule that, that you set, right? I mean, that, that, because that's what we, we need to do. Right. There's some areas here that are gray areas to us, and we get a lot of questions about them. The clients ask the questions, and we don't know what to tell them. So, so we, want, we want more guidance. We want more guidance from you, the IRS. How would you treat some of these things? And their response was, yes, we know you're looking for guidance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I just, well, I just conversations we have. That's kind of how they go. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah, I completed, I completed a um, 
a three-day uh, seminar to get to get them to understand the advantages of wealth creation from a tax perspective a couple of weeks ago with Tom uh, Wheelwright, who's uh, Robert Kiyosaki's accountant. And, you know, he tried to emphasize always uh, two things. Um, one is that uh, very little, very little uh, of the tax code is actually about how you pay taxes. Most of the tax code is how you don't have to pay taxes. And that is something that people, that they're not educated, they look at real estate investors or business events, uh, investors and say, oh, they're just, they're just uh, doing these loopholes. And I don't like that word because there, there's no loopholes in the tax uh, guide. There's only incentives in the tax guide. And I presume that's what you're, you're talking about right now is those incentives in the tax guide, you just want a little bit more guidance from those incentives in the tax guide. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's questions that come up. Uh, I, I can give you a silly one. So, so one of the things that I mentioned self-dealing and, and, and let me just give you an example of self-dealing. If I own a property myself, I can't put it in my IRA to avoid taxes on it, right? Because I own it personally. Now, I could buy a piece of real estate from you because you and I aren't related, but I couldn't buy a piece of real estate from me because, of course, if it's a great piece of real estate, let's say I got a $100,000 capital gain on it, what am I going to sell it to my IRA for? Probably what I paid for it. Now, there's no capital gain. Government doesn't gain money, right? That's, that's self-dealing. That's what they're saying, right? You can't do that kind of funny business. So, so they put in the code something called disqualified individuals, meaning people who can't do a transaction like that, right? Bruce can sell my IRA a piece of real estate, but Edwin cannot sell Edwin's IRA a piece of real estate. Right, disqualified individual. So, who, who are disqualified individuals from doing a transaction like that with your retirement account? Well, it's up and down your family tree: grandparents, parents, yourself, your spouse, children, grandchildren. Right. So, one of the questions that comes up is, well, okay, what about my in-laws? <laughs> well, okay, they didn't specify in-laws, so, so, so to me, that's a gray area. I, I say I wouldn't do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because my parents. Are disqualified to me my wife's parents i'm not married but but if i were married right my wife's parents are disqualified to her so am i allowed to draw the conclusion that her ira could do that transaction with my parents and and i could do that transaction with her parents by the way who's the beneficiary on the parents accounts right Probably you right so i i say it's a gray area uh, well let me rephrase that i think the rules say it's a gray area i say i wouldn't go there right just because i understand the nature and i think the spirit and the intent behind the rules so if I, if I understand the intent and the spirit, I believe, as much as we try to do that with the government, right? I'd say I'd just stay away from a transaction like that. Um, but, but as an example, when we're asking for guidance, like that would be an example of something we say, like, hey, this is a question that legitimately comes up uh, because there, we have clients who are investors and they say, look, I want to help out my in-laws. You know, can I help them out? Can they invest in some of these transactions? They've got money. I can help them out. Um, and the answer is, yeah, don't, I can't tell you. I don't know. Right. Code's not that specific. You know, it's just, it's very interesting. This whole conversation, I'm going to attempt to land the plane from here. I think we have uncovered so many pieces of really just planning for your financial future. If you really look big picture and we step way back, this is talking about how do I maximize the use of all of my dollars and get them working as hard as possible for me so that I can 
get to a position of time and money freedom. Now, there's always more than one path to do that. There is not one right answer. There is not one blanket statement that works for everybody. It really depends on your specific financial picture. It depends on what your goals are, where your starting point is, and really what you love to do as well. Not even one type of investments. Maybe investing in business and real estate is something that I'm also passionate about. Edwin, you talked about. Bruce, I know that's really close and dear to your heart, but maybe that's not the right investment path for you. And plus, if you look at businesses and real estate, there are so many ways to do that. There's not a one size fits all. So really what we want to say from here is if you at all gained any advantage or some new knowledge from this conversation, we'd love to hear about it. You can either comment on the Facebook or the YouTube um, live streams. We're also going to be having a podcast version that goes out in about five weeks. And we would love to hear your feedback. You can go on iTunes and share your feedback with us there as well. And what I would like to let you know is that if you're in a position where you're saying, how do I maximize the use of all of my dollars? We would love to be able to have that conversation with you and figure out where the best next steps are for you. A big piece of that could be privatized banking. Another piece can be alternative investments. We also don't like that term, but alternative investments really means anything that is not correlated with the stock market. And if you are in a position where you want more control, alternative investments are a huge place for you to be able to turn to. And then also there's tax or there's cash flow strategies to maximize your cash flow today by keeping as much of your money as possible. So if you want to move forward, take more control, be in a position of building that freedom so that you don't have to feel out of control. You don't have to just trust that the market is going to do the right thing for you. You don't have to just trust that the government is going to keep taxes low in the future so that you can have a good life. You really want to be in the driver's seat. We ask you to come talk to us. You can book a call at themoneyadvantage.com. We'll have the link for that conversation in the show notes as well as in the live streams. And that's a free 30-minute call where we'll help you figure out your next best steps. One thing I do want to mention as well is that in that tax-free category, specialized or specially designed whole life insurance that is a contract with a mutual company that pays dividends is a great place to store cash that you can then use that cash to be able to invest in real estate, similarly to what you're talking about, Edwin, with the self-directed accounts. And you are also able to still continue to receive that cash flow from the property and also receive the tax benefits of depreciating that asset as well. So something to consider, again, this is additional information. We're sharing knowledge information so you can make the best financial decisions. There are pros and cons to almost everything that you do and you want to understand what your goals are that you're trying to accomplish so you can do it to the best of your ability. If somebody is interested in finding out more information about Specialized Trust Company or following you, Edwin, I know that you, I believe you've already published a book. If I'm not mistaken, I know you're writing two more. Share with us that and then how they can connect with you and get more information on self-directing. Yeah, so the best thing to do is go to our website, specializedtrustcompany.com. And on there, actually, we, right now, we just put up a, a free offer. So we are giving away my latest for free, along with uh, a consultation. Typically, consultations are $97 to $297 with a self-directed specialist. But we're giving those away for free. So it's all free. You can just call schedule that consultation. Our 800 numbers on the website if you'd just rather pick up the phone and get it scheduled right away. And they'll go over your situation and answer all your specific questions to your situation and uh, get you that book and get you moving forward. That's excellent. Well, Edwin, I really appreciate you spending your time and taking that time to educate people with us today. I think that's really what is most important to Bruce and I is sharing the information and the knowledge so that people can make informed decisions 
and not just take someone else's word for it or say, well, somebody else who is successful is doing this. So I'm just going to copy what they're doing, or I just have to guess. And really we want to empower people to make those strong, confident, powerful decisions that really put them in a position of control. So in closing, we would say there's a difference between taking money that might already be qualified that you maybe don't want to have to pay the tax on. Maybe you have deferred money already. You've already deferred the tax and you say, I don't want to pay the tax today, but I want to figure out how to use that money to invest in real estate. Self-directing can be a great way to be able to do that and still hold your dollars inside of that account. Now, if you're in a position where you're saying, what should I do from here? Should I start a new self-directed account or should I start privatized banking account? Or should I just invest directly in real estate? Those are questions that we would love to be able to answer for you individually on a case-by-case basis. So again, please find us at themoneyadvantage.com. Please check out Specialized Trust Company. And thank you for joining us in this conversation today. So in closing, please remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.